Ladies and gentlemen, the one thing you've been waiting for is here. It's the DC Comics News Podcast. This is episode number 52. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. And in a way I know that we're ready to get started is I have both Brad Felicki and Steve J. Ray. Brad, can you say hello for us? Hey, everyone. And Steve, how you doing up there? Greetings, citizens. I'm well, thank you, sir. <laughs> glad to hear, glad to hear. We know that everyone is charging into diets and exercise routines and catching up on books, maybe Crisis on Infinite Earth. So we're going to dive right in with our movie news, move into our TV and streaming, wrap it up with the always fun source material comic books. And starting things off for our movie news is the announcement that the Joker script has made its way online for everyone to read and enjoy. Now, you know it's been raking in the award nominations. Clearly, this script is going to play a, a key role as the article that talks about it mentions. Brad, what do you think about this story? I really enjoy reading screenplays, so I was you know, kind of excited to see that this made its way online. Uh, and it, it is interesting to see how actors interpret the words that are on the page. It always gives me a new appreciation for acting when I do read a script. And given how great Joaquin Phoenix did with the role, I think this will really help cement just how good he was. My only regret is I, this maybe this shows my age, but I kind of miss the days when they would actually publish screenplays in book form. Uh, I always enjoy reading it as a book more than I do online, but that's a that's just a small argument. I, I, I'm just happy that it's there uh, to read. Uh, Steve, what do you think? You know what? This is getting really scary. You said things I was going to say almost to the letter. Yeah, I remember <laughs> back in those days when the Star Wars books came back out in script form. I've got the massive illustrated versions of them. And that's why I was really overjoyed when the um, eighth Harry Potter book, The Cursed Child, based on the stage plays, actually mm -hmm. the, the, the stage play itself. And that really, really made me happy. So, yeah, um, well, maybe now it's online. If enough people clamor for it, they'll do a pu published printed version. And I'd buy that literally definitely absolutely just like you said to see the subtle changes in, in how the actor um, read his lines how they may have slightly changed between the uh, screen ready script and what actually went out and stuff like that I absolutely find fascinating I, I really love seeing the whole movie process go from from the very beginnings right up to the, to the finished um screenplay and if it's out online hopefully that means it might also be a special feature on the uh, home video blu-ray release as well so yeah i'm definitely a big sucker for that kind of things and soundtracks just like you as well brad the um movie music is something i've adored mm -hmm. forever and it's something uh when my son and his friends and stuff we, we play dungeons and dragons we always have like movie scores as mood music as background music and that really sort of like helps add tension to the action and stuff like that so scripts online for the joker movie biggest hit of the year yep i'm down what about you seth what did you think i think this is a great idea i love the fact that it's free and online and I do have to admit, Brad, I feel the same way as you and Steve, this idea of being able to hold it in my hands. It's like reading a good book. 
if I'm going to read that book, I want to feel that same feeling I remember from my earliest memories of reading a book, which is turning the pages, feeling the weight of it in my hands, setting it at a table, trying to adjust my position so I can get comfortable while sinking into it. And this is the kind of script I can see anyone sinking into. Uh, clearly, it, it's it's a great opportunity, as you both pointed out, to see where it is that the actors made changes, emphasized certain parts of the line, um, either on their own or through direction, and how those changes influenced the tone and the beats of, of this amazing film. Um, I, I love that you added in uh, about the idea of soundtracks, uh, Steve. It's something I, I love hearing others talking about. It's something that I used to love when I was a kid, even when it was just knowing that I was going to reread a great comic book series of picking out the 89 Batman soundtrack or putting on a, a few other favorite soundtracks of mine. There were a few others. I had a great mix from some of the Back to the Future, Alan Silvestri stuff that a friend of mine recorded. And we would actually, as children, uh, use those playing with toys and having a great time just acting out scenarios. So uh, that was just a lot of fun for me to sort of just drop right in there. And then as far as the hive mind, I don't know if you heard it, Steve, but there was this buzzing sound. I feel like the hive mind is alive and active and clearly working its magic. And uh, if you're looking for a little magic, well, please check out the Joker script online. Let us know what you think about being able to sink in and read this now instant classic and what your take might be. We're going to shift away to our next movie news topic and that's the announcement that Michael B. Jordan has made his own comments about Superman rumors that appear to be circulating and what he has to say about it beyond the fact that, as he admits or states clearly, he's a fan of comic books. There was a lot loaded into this when you were reading through it, Brad. What did you unpack from Michael B. Jordan's answer? Uh, you know, I... These rumors have been circulating for a while, and I almost think that if there was any real credence to them at this point, it would be more cemented. I think he would do uh, I think he would do a great job. But I think that the practicalities of the Superman character right now is that they don't know what to do with him on film. So I don't think anybody at DC or Warner Brothers knows exactly what to do with superman right now when it comes to film uh you know the, the one good takeaway is that he said you know that if basically that if the idea was good enough he'd definitely be down uh or at least that's that's my takeaway from it so if they would have a great idea for a script he'd be down and yeah and the only thing that I would really annoy me about that it's just the fact that all the trolls would come out and that would just be an absolute miserable ugly side of the internet to see uh but other than that you know if they have a good idea and he's down uh, you know i say go for it steve what do you think it still upsets me that people would be upset by that and i i was kind of confused by michael b jordan's own statement in the article where he says that there are certain things i wouldn't change and um i can see um why other people wouldn't either but Hell, there has been a black Superman in the comic book for years who's also the president of the United States. He could be a perfectly fine Superman and not um, in 
quotation marks upset people and even if he did play Kal-El the original Superman I don't care why does that even matter um it just upsets me that in this day and age stuff like that would still bother somebody um and why should it just be because of Superman um as, as people lost their minds about um the new Catwoman casting. Um, did people lose their minds about Eartha Kitt playing Catwoman back in the 60s? I don't think they did. And if they did, um, well, uh, what can I say to them except, well, how wrong were you? Because all those actors were fantastic in the roles. So it just upsets me that that kind of mentality still exists in what should be an enlightened 21st century. And people say things are getting better. I think I've seen many more steps backwards in that respect in recent years. And, uh, trumps a large part of that where people who are bigoted and stereotypical and whatever else are rearing their ugly head and and making their comments more and more vocal and i don't know just that whole thing upsets me he's a brilliant actor i think he'd be amazing in the role um as either calvin ellis or kal-el to be quite honest um so but that's that's just my take um seth what do you make of it well, I agree. There's an expectation that we've reached. Uh, we would imagine, I would hope, a certain degree of uh, evolution. And that through that, we would have transpired a lot of these things that we would consider to be old beliefs, old stereotypes, old behaviors or uh, ways of thinking. Clearly, Based on how certain events have played out, both uh, socially and politically, we're not quite as far along as we would think we should be, especially this far down the timeline. But all of that being said, it's really difficult to sort of, you know, dive in too much to this article because it really seems like Michael B. Jordan danced around the topic a great deal. And I appreciate that it seemed to be that he was talking about the fact that he believes in what he feels are the the history that goes with characters and their canon as it's been understood up to this point. And I feel like he was pointing to his desire to be authentic and respect that. Now, I also agree that he would probably make a really impressive and a great take on Kal-El, or he could play a, a Superman who is also president of the United States. I think the possibility is out there. I do know that he, like the business, like any studio he would be involved with, has to consider how the market's going to respond and, and where the best financial direction is to go. Um, and sometimes that takes patience. One of the things that I do have to also recognize is we've waited over 10 years for Black Adam. And we're still patiently waiting. And for whatever reason, the timing hadn't been right previously, and it won't be right until it actually hits theaters, something we'll get to talk about in a little bit. But what I'm intrigued by is that he really seemed to say, I'm not going to take any position on any specific characters. What I am going to say is, as a comic book fan, as someone who read comics, I know that there are certain things that I believe shouldn't change. And I think that's really important because that's probably something that a lot of people think about when it comes to translating a comic book to the screen. After that, I felt like the answer got a little bit muddied. And I feel like 
really it, it leaves us very little to actually talk about it in regards to substance. But I do like the possibilities it opens, and I am intrigued by the fact that he could potentially go in a number of different directions, all of which I would support. I believe you would as well. But as has been pointed out by both of you, clearly just through the evidence on social media, there has been uh, a tendency to foster a lot of negative responses anytime a casting is outside of what a certain percentage, minority, whatever you want to refer to that group that's responding negatively, believes that, you know, this isn't a good fit, a clear fit, or whatever their complaint might be, to be honest, if I try and figure out just how many possibilities they are, we'll never get to the next story. Because it seems like to anger social media, the internet, all you really have to do is one thing, one tiny little thing. And like that, it's a forest fire. So to those people, I would say just Google Val Zod, Google Calvin Ellis and see a version of Superman who is brilliant, inspirational, uh, a ray of hope and light, just like Superman always has been. Uh, And that's basically all I'd have to say about that. I guess I'm the forever optimist and took away from his comments something more positive than than you guys did, uh, just in terms that maybe just like he just didn't say no, you know, like he didn't absolutely cut down the rumors. Very true. You know, so definitely that's what I like, actually, is that it leaves open all this possibility. You know, and that's really the best part. He hasn't closed any doors. But, you know, I do love what you're pointing to, I think, is the idea that he would do it with a a great degree of authenticity. He would believe in what he was doing and he would feel that if it was done the right way, he would dive in. Is is that close to what you? Yeah. 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 Um, So I felt that was really positive. In fact, that's why I'm open to whatever direction he goes. I just know that a lot of those options are going to be limited to what the studio brings to him. And that's going to be based on money. That's going to be based on what they think uh, captures whatever the right momentum might be or, you know, best version of story that they want to tell. You know, and then that's what he'll be offered if he chooses to do something else in a different direction. You know, again, there's so many possibilities. So that's the part that I was left with. I didn't mean to come off pessimistic, and if I did, please <laughs> let me oh, know. No, no, or, no, or not no, take away as much positive. Yeah, you guys didn't come along, uh, come across pessimistic as maybe more realistic. I don't know um, <laughs> if that's the right word or not, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you guys were pessimistic. Spot on, Brad. Well said. <laughs> I, I'd say realistic is definitely we're 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 clearly responding to what we feel are the uh, the sort of tones. Uh, currently being expressed i also i'm intrigued too about what the idea might be within a year or two i'm always interested how there can be these ebb and flow to the way social media the way tones thoughts movements can sort of build and then go i mean you know we have to remember that this at least in the united states was once a nation that was overtaken by disco duck So at some point, like anything is kind of possible. So, you know, whatever this fervor might be, should it change direction, that might be the perfect opening for him to tell a great story that 
speaks to that time or speaks to that message. So I'm intrigued with what we might see down the road from him because clearly he's not closing any doors. And Steve, I think people should listen to what you said. I agree. I think they should read about those characters. I think they should check out those stories. But I also, know, I also know that, you know, if they're coming to this conversation with a certain mindset, maybe they're not ready, you know. But as long as you've let them know that's, what it is and where to go and find it when they are ready, maybe they'll remember that this was something that was recommended to them and why it was recommended. And maybe that's part of what they'll take away from it. So there's always that possibility, Good. right? I like that style. Nice, nice. Um, and you know what else I like? Another story about a great character. I love the fact that we've got on our next story headline to talk about the announcement that the Phantom Stranger is on his way to the DC Animated Universe. What an enigmatic character. And I was really intrigued by this announcement. Um, however, before my enthusiasm just causes me to run ramshod, ramshackle over my uh, co-conspirators here. Brad, what was your uh, take on this announcement? I love these these slightly more obscure but characters that the fans love in the DC universe are getting their due uh, with things like these animated shorts. Uh, and he's always been a character, Phantom Strange has kind of fascinated me and, and uh, they haven't necessarily used him enough, so I'm kind of excited to see this uh, you know, to see this short. I I'm, I'm excited about all these shorts that are that have come out or are coming out as well. So yeah, this definitely adds to it. I just, yeah, I mean, DC has such amazing characters that why not? Why not use them and 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 highlight them in 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 animated movies or shorts? Yeah, so definitely, I'm excited. Steve, what do you think? I think it's about damn time. Like you say, Phantom Strange is such a brilliant character i mean I, I nearly lost my mind when i saw him on on something um on dc universe so the fact that he appeared there was made me really happy and to see him treading his way through an animated short directed by wait for it bruce tim that's just the icing on the cake this whole animated um greatness that dc have been producing since 1992 and batman the animated series is largely due to bruce tim and his co-conspirators as, as uh seth so beautifully called us three i like that i i, I want to keep that forever co-conspirators <laughs> the right term um bruce tim i mean come on heart of ice and so many others um his stamp on the dc animated universe is it's indelible. It's something that's going to be around forever. And if he brings that kind of magic to Phantom Stranger, that's going to open so many more doors. So like you said, these brilliant and more obscure characters who uh, the real comics fans have known and loved for decades. It's just a beautiful thing. And like you said, Brad, these shorts, um, we've already had, uh, you know, a couple of, of great ones again with the lesser known characters i mean sergeant rock what the yes please phantom stranger yes please uh was it deaths appearing in, in one soon yeah i'm happy very very yeah. happy seth what did you make of it well boy the hive mind buzz 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 is clearly just ringing with the the feelings that we're all expressing phantom stranger just has that ability to cross between worlds, to show us things from an outside perspective, to sort of part the veil 
And because of that, so many things are possible. I I love what you mentioned about Bruce Tim. We are we really are blessed by having him at the helm of so many amazing animated projects and for always bringing the same degree of commitment and not quite, but often with hints of nostalgia and, and a modern understanding that feels so classic and timeless. I mean, there's, there's a reason why, you know, there, there was such a, a mournful sense when we lost Darwin Cook and the idea of that sort of timelessness that those oh, characters yeah. presented. I really feel like that's something that Bruce Tim has found a way to embody with his animated universe. So seeing that sort of lens and filter placed upon great legendary characters like the Phantom Stranger, for me, it's a lot of fun. I was really excited with the new 52 and the, the sort of role that the Phantom Stranger was playing with that. And the more we had a chance to sort of dig into his past, this connection with Pandora, there was a lot of opportunity there that I was really thankful that the new 52 was able to, you know, show us about the Phantom Stranger, how much of that, how much of his previous origin and how much of what Bruce Tim does so magically will be involved in this project is going to make for a really lovely, uh, I think, story. I love the timeline. Clearly, a lot of people have recognized the value of telling something dark and a little scary in the 70s. It seems to be thematic not only in comics, but now in the animated world as well. So I like this concept also in a dilapidated mansion with a mysterious Seth. <clears throat> I'm not saying I've been busy doing stuff. Or I know I him. He's my friend. <laughs> and clearly my character is being voiced by Michael Rosenbaum. So that's that's a great thing. Um, this all looks like a lot of fun for me. I'm really thankful, really looking forward to sitting down and watching it. I have yet to be disappointed and am constantly elated by everything Bruce Tim has brought in front of me. I have no doubts about all the joys I'm going to experience with Phantom Stranger. Now, it's a bit magic, Seth. I think that we need to address this here, that there's a mysterious Seth in the animated movie, <laughs> and this is episode New 52. Hmm, interesting. I could tell you more. But there wouldn't be the surprise at the end of this recording. You wouldn't want to miss that now, would you? <laughs> so, moving right on down to see what just might come at the end of this episode and whether or not the mysterious Seth and I have any connection. And could it really be as simple and clear-cut as episode number 52, as Mr. Steve J. Ray so rightly pointed out? You're going to want to stick around. Trust me. Now... Because it's important to always leave you with that cliffhanger and then suddenly change topic. Did you know there was a Black Adam movie coming out? It's true. In fact, there's now a rumor. It appears to be more than so that Hawkman, the JSA, and Hawkgirl will be along for the ride. Now, there's been a series of conversations that we've had about the developing details about the upcoming black adam movie what was your take on this newest detail mr brad uh yeah yeah i i love the idea that we're gonna get to see these characters in this movie and uh given that the rock seems to be a fan of all these characters too then i think with his input i think that 
we're going to be happy with the results. And uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see Hawkman and Hawkgirl because they, I mean, their whole outfits and things like that may be a little cheesy. And I'm sorry to say that from the perspective of people who don't read comics, you know, it's the, despite the, you know, and they were in legends of tomorrow, which was great, but they never really continued through the whole series. So uh, I just, it'd be very interesting to see how, how they are, are presented, but I think it's a, it's a very cool idea. Steve, what do you think? I agree completely brilliant characters and it's a bit of a no-brainer if you've got a movie they've already touted to include the Justice Society and Hawkman Hawkgirl could not be far behind because their fates were intertwined but um, I do agree completely that those are comic book costumes that work brilliantly in comic books but are damn hard to translate onto the screen so yeah they did a decent job on the Legends of Tomorrow I must admit but um it's interesting to see where they're going to take that. Uh, but the whole character, the whole arc, and if they follow the Hawkman comic book of recent years, uh, Robert Bittes' <laughs> fantastic Hawkman series, where he's managed to embrace the entire history of the character characters throughout deaths, lives, reincarnations, alien worlds, um, prehistory, Egypt, and everything else that goes with it, then I honestly think it's about time. Not only do they appear in Black Adam that they get the recognition they deserve and maybe get their own spin-off too, because I love the Hawks. Um, I love Carter Hall. I love the whole Indiana Jones vibe he's got going on right now in his own series. Uh, brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, like you say, you can't have Hawkman without Hawk Girl, Stroke Hawk Woman. Yeah, I'm, I'm invested to sign me up. I definitely want to see this happen. Seth, what did you make of it? I've gone ahead and signed you up, and I've also signed up Brad. I've added my name to the list. Anyone else, contact us for how you need to be signed up, because I can't agree with you more without just turning into a blathering, blittering. We talked about Hawkman when this announcement was made about his casting and about his character. Clearly, they recognize that if you're going to have the Hawk Man, you need the Hawk Woman, even if you're going to call her Hawk Girl. Because the best thing about those characters is a timeless love story. One that's reincarnated across the ages, across space, as you mentioned, Steve. Now, I think it might be a challenge to try and talk about all the wonderful things Robert Venditti has done in that Hawkman series in this first introduction. But I do love the idea of making one or two great flashbacks to something other than just his timeline on Earth that could really extend to that possibility of of seeing a, a standalone feature film with both of the Hawks in it. I am intrigued by the challenge that you guys have raised, and I would love to hear feedback from it, from those who are out there listening about what they think about this idea of how do you translate the Hawks' costumes from comic books, where they are absolutely glorious, to the big screen. Granted, Legends of Tomorrow did a good job with what we know is a television budget, and there are always going to be limitations. I, I thought that they appeared as close to the comic book version as they could on the show. But yeah, making it realistic would be an interesting challenge and would require a really interesting series of cinematic choices if they chose to try and make them uh, with feathers, with the, you know, the bare-chested, you know, Hawkman approach. Uh, 
with Shiera and with the masks. But I do think that if you can tie that into their history and and also make it seem like a return to glory moment, maybe a lot of that originality can still stay true on the film depiction. Otherwise, I know that there's a lot that can be taken just from the idea of the nth metal. So I'm intrigued to see how creative they will end up getting by using those amazing powers it imbues and modernizing the sort of take on Hawks, people who, you know, in their history, it would make more sense for them to take on this bird-like form in a modern take. How is that going to be translated? Will it be translated? What's that going to look like? And then even when shown it, is that something that will look as good as these wonderful classic takes we've enjoyed so far? Uh, I really like the point that you brought up. I think it's a discussion we're going to continue with. And now I'm just sort of like, all right, well, where's the images? Pictures. Come on, guys. Show me those. <laughs> Show me those spies. I want a whole slew of those like we've had with, with yeah. Birds of Prey. I want to see the Hawks, the Justice Society, Black Adam, all these characters get their own posters in the weeks leading up to the, the release of the film. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And now we've got so many wonderful elements to look forward to in Black Adam. Steve, you you brought up how we've talked about this idea of the Indiana Jones approach and having that physicality that Carter brings. But I've also loved recently in the Venditti series how we got to see that calm, measured presence of Shiera, who just really is that wonderful balance to all of his, you know, just ferocious might. And seeing that translated on screen is going to be wonderful. And just add into that the cast of the JSA. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Steve shared a picture online. And it was another hint towards something else that might be coming in Black Adam. And every time I get a little bit more news, I can just sort of try and picture it on the screen. And it looks really radiant, you know, with that big sort of Justice League light behind them. And yeah. I think I'm going to have a lot of fun. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with me. I think we're going to be talking about this in the future. Now, interestingly enough, something we've talked about quite a bit has finally gotten, well, a confirmation, at least from the last guy who was in charge. What am I talking about? Well, I've been dancing around the subject for a moment, so I'll understand if you're not quite sure. It's the Suicide Squad. And the question of, is it a reboot or is it a sequel? Is it a reboot or is it a sequel? Apparently, David Ayer, director of the 2016 Suicide Squad, has spoken up, or at least spoken. I don't know. It's on Twitter. So maybe he typed it. He clickety-clacked it. But in his own words, it's not a sequel. It's a reinvention. And James Gunn is going to absolutely knock it out of the park. Brad, what was your take on this announcement and, you know, what what he said or spoke or typed uh, social media? <laughs> well, I I uh, do like that he kind of gave his blessing and said he's going to do a, you know, James Gunn is going to do a great job. They really seem to be going out of their way to say that it is not a sequel. And is that just because there's something specific in the story that negates what happened in the first one somehow or is it just because uh, the the first one was 
was not so well received by critics in you know in a certain segment of the audience. Um, but you know, for me, at the end of the day, I just want a good movie that I'm going to enjoy. Um, whether it's a sequel or a reboot, you know, bottom line, just give me a good movie. Steve, what do you think? Reinvention is a clever word because it's not saying that it's totally rewriting or um, stopping what came before from ever happening. It's just um, maybe seeing it from a side view or or propping it up or giving it a boost. Because I think what's happened is a lot of people have seen that certain things in the first movie were strong and now they want to get the strengths from that film and learn from the mistakes and therefore call it the reinvention rather than the reboot. Cause a reboot would be quite sad because I honestly didn't think that film was anywhere near as bad as everyone else did. I, I quite enjoyed it and thought yeah, yeah, it had some great too. moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And some great characters. So yeah, reinvention. I like that. I can live with that. And if it means we see some great characters played brilliantly as they were originally, that's great. But, um, I still keep going back to what uh, James Gunn said about the film, which, which creased me up and people asking me, is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? And he just said, it is what it is. So I thought that was just absolutely brilliant. So, um, well, at least that question has been kind of answered. Uh, Seth, what did you make of all of it? <laughs> yeah. One of those answers that makes you go, uh-huh. So what's your answer? No. Um, I, I do like the idea that we're talking about it not as a sequel, more as a reinvention. I think that's a really great approach. And I think that it's key that later on in another tweet, he, by he, I mean Mr. Ayers, confirms that some characters and elements will be used, but that this is a reinvention of the universe and that there's immense potential here. So I do like the idea that, as you pointed out, there were a lot of things in Suicide Squad that were really positive. I liked a great deal about it as well. Enchantress was not the part that I liked about the movie. And I didn't like the way they made her move on screen. The way they developed the characters, um, so many great scenes of sort of like camaraderie as well as bonding, whether it's in the bar or in the first couple of fights. I think there was this really great sense of, you know, that dirty dozen feel that I always, you know, I, I loved, uh, you know, the Lee Marvin film. And and I think that those are things that you wouldn't want to get rid of. You, you wouldn't want to lose those pieces. But by reinventing, you can still keep them as well as add more to it. Um, I, <laughs> I do like that this is in reference to, you know, what you said, you mentioned James Gunn had already said, which was, hey, man, it is what it is. So, you know, take it as you see it. Yeah. You, you know, you get what you see. Um, overall, I, I felt like this was a, a very supportive answer and clearly one that recognizes I did what I could in regards to speaking for Mr. Ayer or at least attempting to. Uh, and now that I've done my version, James Gunn is going to come along and in that same universe, tell his version of a story with these characters. I think it, the benefit goes to DC Comics fans and fans of the films. And I also also think that we're really going to benefit from the fact that this is a, a telling of a story with great characters, with clearly as many of the elements we enjoyed the most being included in this newest version. So 
sounds like for those of us who are looking forward to it, we're going to enjoy it no matter what. And that's all I can ask for when I purchase a ticket, really. Now, when it comes to getting your tickets for Wonder Woman 1984, there could be an opportunity to get them earlier with the announcement that it's six months ahead of scheduled release. Okay, probably none of that is true. Just because it's done six months ahead of schedule doesn't mean you can get tickets earlier or anything else like that. But it was a fun thing to consider when you hear an announcement like six months ahead of scheduled release. What do you do with six extra months? Go on vacation, come up with some cool CGI stuff. Brad, what would you do, my friend? Uh, I, you, you know, the, there's that old saying that uh, work of art is never finished, just abandoned. Uh, and, and Patty Jenkins even said that it gives her a chance to tweak everything. And, you know, I just, I, you know, I just hope that there's not a, a sense of over tweaking. Um, and I, I, I definitely trust her as a director that she won't, but there is little danger of that. And I guess, and on the flip side, it's interesting in a way because they can do a lot of test screenings and things like that. So I'm curious as they start to do that, what the reactions are going to be that leak on to uh, social media and things like that. Um, and I would love it if somehow they move the release date up for whatever reason, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Steve, <laughs> what do you think? It astounds me that a multi-million dollar movie with a huge cast and crew of hundreds of people working behind the scenes can get a movie finished six months early, yet DC can't get all their comic books out on time on a monthly <laughs> basis. Um, but Sorry. apart from that, well, yeah, I mean, what, what can I tell you? But it's brilliant, and it shows that these are people who are, A, extremely comfortable working together, so much so that there's been no conflict, no dilemma, no studio interference causing delays, and that this film is more or less ready, apart from, like you said, Brad, some fiddling and tweaking. And, hey... If I want to let anyone loose to fiddle and tweak on my movies, it's Patty Jenkins. Because, again, like I said, this is a lady who knows what she's doing. She's a professional. She's got a great eye. She's brilliant with the actors. She can do visual effects. She can do teams. She can do individual performances. And if this film develops the story we saw in the original Wonder Woman movie and keeps that ball rolling and that momentum growing, then the fact that she's brought it home six months early is just it's astounding i just can't believe it because when have you heard a film in this day and age being completed early everything's always pushed back weeks months whatever i mean like we said the saga of black adam's been going on for over a decade and we're finally starting to see the fruits of it now so mm, i want to buy my tickets i want to see this film i want to see the golden disco costume i want to see a slapping bullets out of the air um I need my Wonder Woman sequel, and I want it now, please. Seth, what do you think? I think Patty Jenkins needs to do a workshop series and a book and a video called How to Efficiently Film a Movie, because she could probably make a gazillion dollars teaching everybody else who has problems with whatever it is they don't plan for correctly – because when you finish six months early, it's kind of like the kid who's finished with their quiz or test with 10 minutes to spare and just starts going along, double checking their answers and doing all that other fun stuff you do when you have time. All she's doing now is fiddling and playing. 
And it's all to the benefit, as you both pointed out, to the studio and the fans. The studio can start working with screenings, getting some early responses. Fans can start listening to some of that feedback and looking forward to all the things that are coming to us on June 5th. And along the way, Patty Jenkins can do what she loves to do, which is just sort of fiddle. But she can because she's got that amount of time. It's like the project's done. You know that whatever changes you make, you can just hit the uh, Control-Z and undo or simply say, oh, you know what? We're fiddling with it. It doesn't look good, so we're just going to chop that because we've still got this original perfect thing ready to go. And if whatever you are fiddling with works, well, that's the benefit of having six extra months to play with something without rushing it, doing a crap job and maybe leaving us with something that's really ugly or unimpressive. I mean, there's just good things to come out of this. And that's really all we're left with when someone like Al Gadot says, we can share it with the world. It's ready. I mean, clearly, as you both pointed out, this is something that's a demonstration of professionalism. And Steve, I love the idea that these people work so well together that they can have this done so quickly. And now it just leaves the rest of us biting at the bit. Sadly, I do agree with Brad that they simply won't be moving up the timeline for us. June 5th was picked for all of the important reasons, and that's the day it's going to stay. But there's a certain comfort in knowing that nothing's being reshot, redone, rushed in order to get there on time. And we're the ones who are going to benefit from it. I can't think of a better gift to look forward to as we come into 2020. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, step away for a little bit about DC Comics, DC Comics News, and all the wonderful things you might not know about if you weren't listening to this podcast and it's this wonderful, informative app. We're going to take that quick break. Be right back because we've still got TV streaming news and, of course, comic books. Talk to you in a minute. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night.
And faster than a flash, we're back. It's the DC Comics News Podcast, episode number 52. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm joined by Mr. Steve J. Ray and Brad Felicki, and we're diving right into TV and streaming news with the announcement that if you've been waiting to pick up the Batman Beyond Blu-ray without the Funko Pop, your day has arrived. The Batman Beyond Blu-ray released on December 31st. And if you're listening to this somehow in the past and we're able to get your pre-order in, well, you're ahead of the game. Brad, what'd you think about this announcement? I think this should make every Batman fan very happy. And I'm sure Steve is jumping up and down. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> Save the man's floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that everybody loves Batman Beyond who's watched it and the idea of putting it in your Blu-ray collection seems like a no-brainer and especially if you are not necessarily into pops uh this seems like the perfect the perfect time to dive in and also it's a perfect time to dive in if you haven't seen the show if you're a new if you're new to Batman it's definitely worth uh worth the investment for sure Steve what do you think yeah, I am one of those fans who's been waiting for this release without the Funko Pop because A, I'm not really a fan of Funko Pops. B, that box with the toy in it doesn't fit on the shelf with all the other Blu-rays. Come on, Warner Brothers, what are you thinking? But now I can calm down, take my chill pill, relax, place my pre-order, then pick up my shiny new Blu-ray set and have something else to look forward to once we've done the 150-odd episodes of Batman the Animated Series we're recording every week, I can concentrate on Batman Beyond. Oh, this makes me very happy. Terry McGuinness, Matt McGuinness, Blight, and all those wonderful characters. I cannot wait to see you again, old friends, and to share you with those who Brad quite rightly said may not have seen your adventures who may not have known that there is a Batman animated series out there which continues Bruce Wayne's story and gives us a brand new Batman for the ages with it uh, this was a show that was so great that Batman almost defeated Batman Terry McGuinness became a, a part of our hearts and our, our minds in a way that no other character since Bruce Wayne has and he's the only actually other Batman other than when Dick Grayson temporarily wore the suit that fans did embrace and did respect and didn't want to throw out of the window like they did when Azrael became Batman. He was a Batman that everyone loved, maybe because he had Bruce Wayne's backing, maybe because Bruce Wayne was his Alfred. I, I don't know, but I love Batman Beyond. And getting a Funkoless version makes me smile. Seth, what are your thoughts, my friend? I think you guys covered all of the, the best points about this kind of a story, is that one... You don't have to buy the version with the Funko Pop. This version is now available without it. So if that character doesn't fit on your shelf with the movie, you don't have to worry about what to do with this sort of extra thing. And I'm intrigued by the fact that this story also points out that the version with the Funko Pop is still available and has even been marked down, which maybe tells me that you're not the only ones who have been waiting for this Funko Pop free version of Batman Beyond on Blu-ray to arrive. And perhaps we'll have an interesting story later about which version outsells the other. But I also love the fact that you both pointed to, which is this is a great opportunity for either someone who's never experienced it to either get it as a gift, or if they know someone who does get it, 
to say, hey, buddy, mind if I come on over and watch some episodes of that? Or, you know, take you up on the offer should you make the suggestion to me and learn about this character who Steve pointed out came this close to replacing Bruce Wayne in our hearts. And more importantly, because he was being led and guided by Bruce Wayne as his mentor. Um, more importantly, you get a chance to add just another great animated series to your collection and prepare for what Steve J. Ray announced here first will be in addition to the I Am The Night podcast series, which is when he takes on Batman Beyond. It looks like we're going to have Steve J. Ray podcasting for us for many, many episodes to come. Much like forever. <laughs> Agreed. And much like Batman Beyond on Blu-ray, that's a gift for all of us. Thank you, Steve. Looking forward to it. Oh, shucks. Thank you. Hey, it's what we do. We support our own. And it's one of the reasons why we love doing this, because these are the things we love talking about. And one of the things I know we're going to talk about in just a moment and potentially at length is that this holiday break is almost over, which means the Crisis on Infinite Earths five-part series break is almost over. With only two hours left to go, can our heroes find a way to overcome the Anti-Monitor and the crisis afflicting all the Earths in the multiverse? We had a teaser. Is that enough? And what do we know, want, hope for three episodes in and two to go? Brad, how about you, my friend? Uh, tease is the important word in that. It definitely teased what's to come. And it just makes me thankful that we only have two, a little over two weeks at the point where we're recording this. So, man, I can't wait to see how this all plays out and how they bring it all together and how they save the day. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Tease is, is absolutely correct. Because it doesn't really tell us anything. It just gives us a minute of action shots and special effects and heroic people making heroic sounds and standing in heroic poses and being really heroic. And, oh, God, these mid-season breaks are torture. They really are torture. I mean, the first three episodes were great fun. They were silly. They were cheesy. They were entertaining. They were action-packed. They give us everything you want in an over-the-top blockbuster crossover series, including people saying, oh, this isn't, they're, they're part of the crossover and stuff like that. And seeing multiple Supermen and The Flash and another Flash and 90s Flash and Earth 90 and Robert Wall in Gotham City and hearing Danny Elfman's music and hearing the old 60s music and seeing Burt Ward walking his dog in a multicolored sweater and just being generally awesome and now we have to wait another two plus weeks to get the rest of it <sighs> please get me out of here get me onto a, a time traveling space cruiser and take me to the earth where all these heroes are fighting the anti-monitor because i want to join in and i want to be there now i don't want to wait till january anyway seth please save me from my madness well, I'm currently on hold for Mr. Elon Musk and SpaceX. I figure he might be our best chance, but they said that he's in a meeting and he promises to get right back to me. While we're waiting for his reply, I can only say to you, yes, Steve, um, there is simply no other way unless we can get our hands on a genius in order to leap 
into the future, making it the present, and finally see these remaining two hours. I loved everything that we've seen so far building up through these first three episodes. Episode three really got to me, man. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, that was a heartbreaking moment. And when John Wesley Shipp said Tina, I, I more than one tear leaked from my eyes. Right. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. I mean, that was my flash. That was the first time I ever saw someone stand up and put on the costume and make me believe. I was lucky enough to meet him earlier in the year at a convention just up north from where I live. And actually- What a lovely man. What a genuinely lovely man. I was really thankful that a connection I made was able to introduce me and tell me to say hello. And he greeted me like I was an old acquaintance maybe a pen pal or something where we've had a conversation in the past, but we're finally meeting for the first time. And the rest of our conversation continued like that. He has been a joy to follow on social media. He's been a great presence. And all I thought of afterwards was, you know, it's been how many years later since that TV show first premiered and then sadly went off the air. And this person that I'm talking to embodies all the best characteristics that I would want from someone who represented one of my favorite characters. If not, yeah, probably my favorite character in comics. And man, watching those scenes was, it was it was a little difficult. <laughs> I was really struggling with the idea of, so, but that's not it, right? Come on guys, <laughs> there's two hours left. Can we fix some stuff? How we're gonna tell For this For once story? I was totally heartbroken to be right, Seth. I feel your pain because I said that the flash was going to die in, in, in the crisis, but it didn't necessarily mean it would be Grant Gustin's flash. It could be the earth 90 mm -hmm. flash. And I, I was horrified to be proven right. I, I also, yeah, it was heartbreaking, dude. Heartbreaking. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I mean, there was a part of me that knew that that was a great direction to go and give some wonderful closure to the time that we've been lucky enough to have with John Wesley ship, uh, putting on the flash costume again. But there was also that part of me that was aware of the fact that his character appears throughout the multiverse in different iterations. So this doesn't have to be the end. We've seen, you know, how many different ways that the multiverse can twist the identities and the faces that go with them or the lives that they leave on lead on different Earths. But watching this original Flash just do that one thing it took me back to that moment in the comics the first time i ever read the death of the flash in crisis on infinite earths and that feeling of sacrifice that that it was really heartfelt man it was it was just it was really uh it was really a touching moment i was i was really shooken up and with everything that they're doing with oliver queen and the potential for his future Man, I mean, this this series left us with so many cliffhangers and it felt like those were so big. And then at the same time, you're talking about the entire multiverse falling apart. And yet here I am talking about one or two characters. And that's what I've loved about the series so far. I know we're talking about this big thing. I know that it's huge and sweeping and it has all of these amazing glimpses to pieces of the history that we've had a chance to experience so far. But Man, it was these wonderful little moments with the characters that just really impressed me with this so far. So, yeah, 
as far as the teaser part of this, this little snippet that they gave us real quick was just a lot of heroic speak and poses. And it, it just left me going, but you still haven't told me anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, because we only have a, a few things left on our comic book news, I'm just going to take a moment to let anyone else say anything they'd like to about Crisis on Infinite Earths, whether it's the teaser, the first three episodes or the remaining two before we shift. Definitely want to make a quick mention to um, and I know it wasn't very well received. It didn't do very well. It got cancelled after one season. But I love the Birds of Prey TV show and seeing oh, Huntress yeah. Yeah. running over the rooftops and talking to Oracle just took me straight back. And the fact that that was a little thing that no one had broken the news about. And that was one of the teasers, like Mark Oakenheim said, oh, there's still a couple of things you don't know about that are going to happen. That part really made me smile because I love that show. And um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And that, that whole opening sequence, episode one, was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's funny because they haven't really mentioned that so much as some of the other uh, cameos, but I, I really enjoyed that too, that they got the Birds of Prey in there. Uh, it was kind of, yeah, it never got the respect it, it deserved. That and definitely it, seemed like a thoughtful nod, right? Like it was yeah, a recognition yeah. of the fact oh, that, hell hey, yeah. you know, this didn't get the respect it should have, but it's getting respect right now. Yeah, Brad, you were saying I cut you off there. Sorry, buddy. I, I, just that Crisis is such an epic story with such a grand scope. The fact that they found a way to utilize it and condense it into five hours of television is just astounding. And it's amazing what they pulled off from a, a storytelling uh, perspective. So, you know, kudos to everybody involved for sure. Definitely. And it also interesting, you know, that that's one of those great examples where Mark Guggenheim in our interview with him was saying, we had to be aware of the fact that if we were doing a, a crisis on infinite earth, it had to be all earth. And that means we had to include all these different characters that we've seen on television who are part of this television universe. And I thought that was a, a really interesting note, this idea that even if it didn't get the respect it deserved at the time, it's going to get respect now. It's going to get recognition and you're going to see these characters and you're going to get a chance to have that feeling that it's impacting everything that's come before. Uh, I really like that nod as well. Um, and you both pointed to something interesting, which is there were no teasers about this, right? There was no previous information until that episode aired which also means that was that, a bolt in the boot yeah yeah which which really interests me because we still have two episodes left we still have two hours and we still have the knowledge that mark guggenheim has so far pulled a couple of these right out from under our noses which means who knows what might be in store for us in the remaining two episodes that hey they didn't tell us about Birds of Prey. They didn't tell us about Huntress. Who knows who else we might get to see that they just, you know, left out of the discussion. <laughs> That's a really fun thing That's to look fact. forward to. Yeah, and we saw Jason Todd and Hawk from the Titans TV show on there as well. So it's like literally every live action piece of DC televised uh, uh, history has somehow made an appearance. We've had Smallville, we've had Batman 66, Birds of Prey, 
Titans? Are we going to see Swamp Thing? Are we, with this whole thing of uh, Spectre making an appearance in the form of Jim Corrigan and possibly making Oliver the next Spectre and whatever else. I mean, who are we going to see? And it's so exciting just thinking, well, damn, they've pulled the wool over our eyes and given us a couple of surprises already. What else have they got in store? I think that's the most fun to look forward to because if you know that they were able to stay, you know, lip sealed on things like that, what else might they have under their hats? Clearly, it's enough to keep us questioning and wondering because if we'd figured it out, well, that's what we'd be talking about instead, eh? (laughs) Um, And I think with that, we've sort of exhausted the crisis on infinite Earths. Final opportunity for a last topic, segment, statement, Bueller. All right. And with that, we move right into comic book news because, well, with the new year, it seems like the secrets are going to be released little by little at first. Don't worry. We'll have more to share next episode as well. When it comes to comic book news for this week, we have the announcement that the post-identity, post-secret identity reveal, as I stumble over my own words, Superman 19 has been postponed two weeks. You know, I kind of thought we were past this little awkward period of postponements, but it's clear we're about to kick off 2020 with similar news. I don't know how I feel about this as a signal for the upcoming year. Brad, what's your take, my friend? It's just a shame because that's a big, uh, you know, fans are definitely waiting to see what happens after, you know, the Clark Kent reveals his identity as Superman. So, uh, uh, man, I guess two weeks is better than a month. So, uh, man, I just wish they could just figure this out because it's, it's an epidemic at this point. And all of us here on the podcast are a little bit wary of talking about delays again and again and again. So uh, just DC, please, please fix this. Get it together. Steve, what do you think? I think DC are actually being quite clever with this one. I think this one's on purpose because, correct me if I'm wrong, when the death of Superman was announced, it hit newspapers globally worldwide it was a phenomenon to the point where those comic books are still some of the biggest selling comics of all time if not i think i might actually be correct in saying it's the the biggest selling comic book of all time the death of superman in issue 75 um but clark henry reading's identity is a big deal but outside of the comics readership i don't see anybody talking about this i haven't seen any speculation any media buzz nothing I think that DC are cooling their heels. They're going to make a bigger splash about it on social media or whatever else to get people to buy it because uh, it's not a secret that this run by Brian Bendis has divided the crowd. Um, Many fans were so excited by him coming over from Marvel and being given Superman, well, actually both Superman titles, this and Action Comics, as his uh, first projects for DC. But... Uh, a lot of fans who were really enjoying the post-rebirth stories that Dan Jurgens and Peter J. Tomasi were giving in Superman and Action Comics have actually found some of the changes Bendis has made. I wouldn't say disappointing, but not quite as um, exciting as what came before. 
and then shipping off Lois and Jonathan, Jonathan coming back aged. And um, what I do like is the introduction of the Legion of Superheroes. What I do like is the introduction of Naomi and bringing back the original Young Justice team. But so far, it's Superman and action comic stuff. While I've liked it, it hasn't really floated my boat. I haven't loved it. I did far prefer what came before. Now, this reveal, Clark revealing to the world, not just to Lois Lane, that he's Superman, um, should be bigger news than it is. So I'm just thinking this is tactical. I'm thinking DC are playing um, smart and they want to get some momentum behind this story. Because even when Superman revealed his identity to Lois Lane and when they got married, there was a much bigger media buzz about it. And this one, it just seems to have fallen a little flat. And I just wonder why that may be. Anyway, that's that's what I think. Seth, what are your thoughts on the story, mate? I'm intrigued. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can definitely see that this would be a tactic employed by DC in order to generate more interest in this announcement that was made in number 18. And that should be generating more buzz, should be selling more issues, should be on the lips of more people. But I do also agree with the fact that this has been... um, a really interesting time for Superman in action comics and actually in both of his titles, as you mentioned, ever since Brian Michael Bendis came over, there has been a lot of division. There's been plenty of conversation about the changes he's made about his take on the character. And a lot of those have led to discussions about whether or not this, you know, is someone who understands the character of Superman. I've seen some editorial takes that are saying, You know, this is just simply a a retelling of stories that have gone before. Although when I was reading it, I was intrigued behind the reasoning for revealing the identity. And that was probably the most uh, original take I found on this concept. The reasons for the delay are interesting because I hadn't given as much thought to it prior to this discussion. But Steve, when you brought up the idea of the fact that it simply hasn't generated as much buzz news-wise, maybe also wonder if something else that we haven't anticipated could be around the corner. The idea that maybe this was announced, but something's coming that will negate it, change it, do something else to impact what should have been, I would think, a much bigger deal. So I'm intrigued as to whether or not it's an old pattern repeating, which is a history of delays and disruptions, or if it's a tactical approach, as you suggested. And I think only time will tell. But I I am intrigued now because I'm taking a different look at this story and I'm going to be taking a different look at issue 19 when it does finally arrive. Any other thoughts on this uh, this topic before we shift gears? And that's it. All right, moving into our final story. Okay, so looks like we've got another delay. Um, <laughs> I hate moving from one delay story into another like that. Yeah. But the, the headline says, DC's Birds of Prey, number one, push back five additional weeks. There's really no way to dance around that. Um, Brad, you're welcome to throw on tap shoes, your favorite dancing attire, to give it a go. Tippity-tappity, tippity um, for some oh, reason, man. I'm thinking of Chicago now. But really, what, what's your take on this story? I, uh, 
it just it's it's really a shame because you got to strike while the iron's hot, and you know this is pushed back until March, and that's almost you know a month after the movie's been released. So it's just that's going to lose a lot of momentum, I think. Uh, culturally, attention spans are pretty short, so this is uh, man. I think it would sell a lot better if it was coming out when it should. But I am interested to you know to see Brian Azzarello's take on Birds of Prey, so I'm still definitely going to pick it up. I just I just hope that that other people do too. So yeah, it's just it's it's a shame. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, the delay is going to hurt because interest is going to be highest when the movie comes out, and delaying it to a month after the movie's come out, yeah. Um, if the Floss delay story was a tactical one, if this is a tactical one, it's it's a misfire for sure. But reading into the article a, a bit more deeply, um, it's been literally pushed back to roughly when issue two was going to come out. But they're collecting issues one and two together into a large, almost 100 page book. So it hasn't really been delayed at all we're just getting issues one and two in one one shot and then the ongoing series four weeks after that but i would have preferred to get it on the original release date as the movie was coming out rather than a month later just because of the buzz and kelly said brilliantly as well with all the shazam delays and 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 you both have agreed that um having so many delays so long after the movie because the first few issues must have sold like hotcakes because that film was so entertaining and must have made brand new uh, captain marvel uh, shazam fans come out of the of, of, of the movie theaters so mm, yeah birds of prey i'm happy that it's going to be a bigger book um but then again i can afford it anyone wanting to get the series as uh, a five six buck book are going to be disappointed now they're going to have to pay for a nearly 100 page graphic novel but i'm happy with the changes i'm happy they're not censoring it i'm happy it's going to be more grown-up book but um that month's weight might bite dc on the butt definitely seth what are your thoughts boy timing is critical Uh, i do appreciate though steve that you took sort of the glass half full approach to this story you know yes there's a delay but the benefit of it is now it's pushed back to the release date of the second, which means you just combine the two. You've got a one shot. It's almost 100 pages. Ten bucks. I mean, you know, not too shabby. Uh, basically a dollar for every 10 pages almost. Um, that does sort of work out to an extent if you're looking to just have it all in one neat shot. It doesn't if you were looking to get it when it was originally supposed to come out. And We've already talked about, as you mentioned, um, and Kelly was one of the leads on that, the idea of how the momentum is so important, especially when a film makes the impact that Shazam did and that we're anticipating Birds of Prey will. This would have been perfect timing the way it was originally set up. It's unfortunate that something has led to a disruption of it. However, the content still sounds like really high quality. I'm just curious to see how the sales end up actually coming uh, or what the total sales end up looking like when it's all said and done, because it does feel like unless there's some way you can use that month to build anticipation between when the movie airs and when this book is available, it could be really disappointing that it 
simply wasn't ready on time. Um, but who's to say exactly how it could play out? Maybe there's a marketing thing in here somewhere where somebody can take advantage of that timing and use it to the benefit of the book and the momentum that the movie has going. Um, without it, though, I, I'm really worried that we're going to see a negative impact. Any other thoughts about this story? It's just a shame because it's the perfect time to bring the series back. Um, a built-in audience is, is almost guaranteed because of the film, and they're not taking advantage of that. And that's kind of a misstep for me. Uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, again, this series has had a lot of flack from purists saying, why is Harley even in it? And, yeah, I, I do see your point. I do think that it's not really Birds of Prey without Batgirl, but at least Batgirl's going to be in the comic books, even if she isn't in the movie. And I still think she is going to be in the movie with this mysterious casting of Miss Direction, as we so aptly named her, Seth. So I just think that it's it's a little bit of a misstep in on DC's part, unless they've got something else on the cards um, that's going to tie into this maybe with an introduction of all these characters in their own books. I mean, obviously, Batgirl's got her own ongoing title. Um, Harley's got her own ongoing title. Uh, Harley and Ivy's doing great guns. It's a brilliant, brilliant comic series. If anyone's not picking that up, but they want to have a great laugh, pick up Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. It's brilliant. And the fact that Huntress is reappearing after vanishing after um, Grayson came off the shelves is is just brilliant news for all fans of these brilliant female strong characters so i don't know i i just think dc need to maybe think things through a little bit a little bit more well unfortunate when there's a misstep like this because you want to start the year off strong and the last thing you want is a fumble just a couple months into the new year um and with such a great project coming out in theaters and with a lot of anticipation i believe so yeah i agree it's disappointing hopefully it can be made up in some way however this does bring up an interesting thing that we were talking about right before we hopped on which is the fact that last week steve so wisely asked us to talk about some of our favorite moments from 2019 and now that we've moved into 2020 we have an opportunity to look ahead And this is a great chance to just sort of ask for Brad and Steve, and I'll try and chime in if I can come up with something or maybe just steal their answers. What are we looking forward to? What are you looking forward to when it comes to 2020, whether it's DC films, television, or comic books? Brad? I'm really looking forward to Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman, of course. It's two definitely big things on the horizon. And uh, I'm excited to see how Doomsday Clock reverberates over the DC Universe over the coming year uh, and Villains United and things like that. I think that they had some really cool things in store for us that we're not aware of yet. So I'm kind of uh, looking forward to those reveals. And, And in terms of just this podcast, one thing that I'm really looking forward to is as some of these films come closer and closer to be releasing we're going to have more and more news and it's just going to be fun to watch that develop like steve you were talking about you just want to see those pictures of hawkman and Hawk girl and all and me too and i know that we'll have such a cool platform with this podcast to talk about all that as it develops so i'm really i'm really excited about that uh over you know over the next year for sure 
Absolutely. Yeah, a lot to look forward to. But I do want to say as well, just looking back at 2019, I have to thank and give kudos to everyone involved in the Batman 80th year celebrations because they were phenomenal, especially um, Insight Editions and the two fantastic books, Anatomy of a Metahuman and Batman, The Definitive History, which I finally finished reading and it's a beast of a book and posted my review for last week and had lots of kind uh, comments back from Insight and from one of the co-authors, Andrew Farraga. So thank you for that. Guys, anyone wanting to get a gift for the bat fan in your life um whether you haven't seen them over christmas or aren't seeing them telling you in the new year batman the definitive history is amazing it's the kind of book i wanted to write myself or be involved in and it speaks to virtually everyone who's ever been involved with the character and it's a treat of a book so do pick that up but for 2020 like you said so much to look forward to uh, James Tynan taking over the main Batman title has got me excited as hell. His run on Detective Comics was phenomenal. His work on Justice League Dark, as you both can attest, is superb. Seeing him write, as he describes it, a dark, almost horror-based Batman book starring Batman and his rogues gallery, it's just got me excited. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Uh, a new Birds of Prey comic book series dead excited about that the fact that suicide squads come back now the first issue was so strong by tom i killed the entire dc universe by unleashing the anti-life equation on them in deceased is is doing great things and the fact there's a deceased sequel coming up too 2020 is going to be a great year for comic books no doubt in my mind and like you said brad wonder woman 1984 Hmm. so much good stuff coming this year in terms of tv in terms of cinema um we said it a few weeks back dc have had a bit of a bad rap when it comes to their cinematic offerings because marvel have done it so well but i'm sorry the last slew of dc movies have kicked royal buttocks and long may they continue to do so seth what are you looking forward to next year next decade my brother I'm really looking forward to the creative brilliance that we've been lucky enough to experience, not only in film, but in comics and also in our TV and streaming. When it comes to comics, there are so many great things to look at where we've seen characters that we know, love and believe we've heard all the stories possibly could be told about them. Just completely twisted. Um, In the past decade alone, we've experienced the dark multiverse. I mean, metal changed so many things. The idea of the dark multiverse that followed, the breaking of the source wall, the the fact that these things which for so long were these barriers that you simply brushed up against and wondered about or pondered have now been broken open. And all of the things that we're waiting to discover, it's, it's huge. I mean, I can remember so many stories about how characters would talk about the source wall or become part of it. And now that it's open, what what else is out there besides, well, everything we've seen so far? Um, (laughs) What that has meant for comics has been some amazing stories. Justice League, Justice League Dark, as you wisely pointed out, Steve. And I really thank you for turning me on to that has been quite a wonderful yeah, me too on that one yeah and i've i've enjoyed every minute of it 
Um, the transitioning of, of storytellers on titles, Tom King uh, stepping away from his run on Batman, uh, new titles coming out soon, like Suicide Squad, which are actually taking the name to heart. And after that first issue, really challenging just what it means to be part of this team and, you know, what that team actually looks like and so many great ideas that we can look forward to uh, when it comes to the cinematic realm. I mean, clearly there are going to be some really impressive women out there doing some really cool things, whether it's Birds of oh, Prey yeah. and wonderful mm -hmm. characters that we finally get to see on screen and cheer for, uh, whether it's the upcoming Wonder Woman who really just blew us all away with her first movie and I think has set an amazing bar, which the preview looks like it's about to set a new standard of heights and excitement and all the wonderful characters that are going to be coming from these stories, black mask, who we finally get to see on screen, Maxwell Lord, who I feel is like one of those great villains who can always just keep popping up for decades and decades and decades. Um, I, I think we're really in for a treat as far as all the different forms. Oh yeah. And we're, we've got red sun in just a couple of weeks. I mean, how much fun is that going to be? Yeah. Um, an animated take, a great tale. And then we were just talking about more that we can look forward to from Mr. Tim. I'm, I'm looking forward to the fact that there is such a degree of opportunity. It's, it's really exciting. I mean, it really feels like we've started considering just what it means to push back, push past what are the known limitations and start asking, okay, fine, we've accepted that things like this have been unbreachable. Now we're breaching them. What mm -hmm. happens? And that is so much fun. And it really, it means so much for all the storytellers. I really think we get a chance to see more writers and artists now because of that, because of how many different ways that stories can be taken. And I think that we're the ones who are going to benefit from it. And I can't think of a better time you know, to be a comic book fan, as the old saying goes from the family guy, isn't this a great time to be alive? What's up? You know, <laughs> not only is it a great time to be a comic book fan, but it's a great time to be a DC fan. Amen. Uh, all these great things yes. you're doing with the characters between you know, getting people like Cami Garcia involved in the YA, um, you know, those graphic novels and what we have on store with the black label could be very interesting and the joe hill horror comics all of that it, i mean I just, just oh those are great so aren't much. they yeah i mean it is just a great time dc is really at the top of its game right now so except except for all the delays that's definitely a big problem but other than that they're knocking it out of the park i'm with you man that's probably the best you part. think about the yeah, but when you think about the dozens and dozens of issues they are producing, and like you say, the range of material they're producing from children to young adults to adults to mature and everything in between, um, we, we are forgetting that these delays are the exception rather than the rule. It's one or two books out of dozens. So, again, I try and be as positive about it as I can because I love comic books so much. And like you was Seth, well done for bringing up um, Cami Garcia and, and and all the other stuff too, because it's it's hugely important that uh, we've got a different 
range of audiences to read this great material. And I've forgotten totally about, yes, Tom King's run on Batman has ended, but we've still got a 12-issue series exploring the Batwoman, Batman-Catwoman relationship to look forward to. So I'm really excited about that one as well. And yeah, 2020 is going to be... Uh, bright, sharp, and in focus, just like 2020 Vision is, I think. It's going to be another fantastic year for DC. Absolutely. Well, with that 2020 Vision looking ahead, I only see bright horizons. And I, I think it was best said by Brad. What an amazing platform we have in order to share it, discuss it, look forward to meeting each and every week. And being part of a conversation that is about all the things we have come to comics and love, but that all the things that everyone else has made so important and beautiful about the the comic stories that we've come to look at as great parts of our life, great elements that enhance who we are as the people who enjoy them. Without this podcast, I would have never had the chance to talk about all of these great things with somebody, let alone two or more people of a like mind. And I'm really thankful uh, to Brad for bringing that up because this gives me a chance to also say to our editor, Mr. Josh Rayner, Josh, you have been our stalwart, our standard, our editor at the mass during the storm of all these things that can get in the way of getting this podcast out and your resilience is the reason we're able to hear these recordings every week we're really thankful for all the work you do we know you're behind the scenes and we're making a concerted effort to bring you back into the public light so that we can help share your voice with everyone else and i'm really looking forward to having mr rayner as a visible voice and presence on this podcast once again because the tireless work he's done behind the scenes is the only reason we're going to be charging into 2020 the way we are that's my last little take on 2020 anyone else bring i think you summed it up (laughs) yes bring back let's let's get the josh rayner cut out here huh um Let's go. Oh, ahead he started have... this show rolling. This is his baby. None of us would be here having so much fun every week talking about everything DC without the job that he started. I never would have met you guys. I never would have met Kelly or any of the rest of the team. I'd just be writing on the website and occasionally exchanging quips with you guys on the message boards, and that's about it. But the fact that, like you said, Brad, we can come on this show. And talk about all this stuff. And next year, there's going to be even more stuff to talk about. We have to thank Josh for and Damien for bringing the two sites together. So 2020, the year of the DC Comics News podcast, the year of Seth, the year of Brad, the year of Kelly, the year of Josh, the year of Steve, and all the other great writers on both sites who make our jobs possible. Thank you all. Definitely. And Also, if I can add, looking forward to in 2020, more episodes of I Am the Night and the chance to share with you on the spinner rack because... And the spinner rack. Hey, you you got me onto so many comics that I can't afford to buy, (laughs) brother. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You know why I'm doing is because Josh suggested the idea and asked me if I was up for it. And that's the only reason I even thought I had a chance (laughs) at running it. So that's why I want to give him so much recognition for that. Exactly. Um, (laughs) with all of those great things to look forward to I'm going to wrap it up with that final thing 
Brad, where can people find you online and social media, all those wonderful things? Uh, you can find me uh, writing news and reviews at DC Comics News and, of course, on Twitter at FlickyB1. And, Steve, where can I find you? To get links to all the DC Comics News podcast shows, to my writing for both DC Comics News and our sister site, Dark Knight News, where I'm editor-in-chief, just do the search on the old Google, Steve J. Ray, or catch me on Twitter at lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. Seth, where can the world find you? Well, my friend, if you're going to look for me on social media, you can go ahead and find me on Twitter as one more singleton. And you can also find me, oh, let's just say if you type my name, Seth, the last name Singleton, and the word story into any search engine, and then, you know, drop me a note and say hi. Now, Please keep in mind the fact that you can also find us on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please head over and subscribe to our podcast and rate and review. If you do, you'll get the chance to catch every new episode of the DC Comics News Podcast and get to hear our great content like that of our co-conspirator Steve J. Ray and his podcast, I Am The Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic Batman the Animated Series or episodes of my Spinner Rack, my take on the top five books published each and every week from DC Comics. Now, if you want to share your thoughts with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, all you have to do is use the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. This has been the DC Comics News podcast episode number 52 and really there's only one thing left that we need you to always do read more comics and with that folks our episode is done catch you next time looking forward to a great 2020 with you bigger (laughs) bigger (laughs)